morning. If you're with us without a Bible, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisle and uh, you'll be fairly lost without a Bible this morning. And uh, You can hear the Word and then also uh, see it with your own eyes, which is so important. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that yours uh, today. Just a reminder as well that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and currently studying uh, the book of Acts, and each of you are invited to that, 6 o'clock this evening. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom, and lend your ear uh, to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her path of life. For her ways are unstable, you do not know them. And therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water into the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. As a, as a, uh, and let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced by the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man and he's caught in the cords of his sin. And he shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Let's pray together. Father, we um, pray the prayer of our Savior this morning when we ask that you would sanctify us by your truth, and your word is truth. We pray that you use this passage in your scriptures to further sanctify our lives and to further make us a distinctive people in this world for your glory as an exhibit, Lord, not only of your power but of your wisdom and also a demonstration of our Savior in our lives. And we pray and ask for this work of your Spirit through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. No uh, volume of wisdom that's intending, I think, really to provide mankind with uh, instruction on how to live a life that blesses God and is a blessing to our neighbor and is a blessing to our own life uh, in kind of the nitty-gritty of the fallenness of this world could be considered 
uh, helpful or complete if it didn't in provide instruction concerning uh, both sexual immorality and sexual morality. And so we come to this uh, subject as we continue our series in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, a series entitled Timeless uh, Wisdom. And God's wisdom on this and all subjects is uh, timeless. This chapter provides us with a, a very, very wise warning uh, against sexual immorality. Uh, it is very, very candid and frank about its attractiveness, uh, its destructiveness, and very strong in its encouragement to us uh, to uh, steer clear of it by adhering to God's instruction concerning its expression solely within uh, the confines of the covenant or the commitment of marriage. But before we get to the subject of sexual immorality, I think it's necessary to lay a foundation by addressing at least a little bit uh, the, the subject of sexual morality. That is God's instruction to us as His children in this area of life. It's important to realize that the physical relationship, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife was entirely uh, God's idea. Uh, he spoke to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so how many ways did He give them uh, to be fruitful and multiply? He gave them one way for that to happen and that is through the sexual relationship and the sexual relationship between a husband and wife uh, was and is a gift uh, from God to them and to us. But further in Genesis chapter 2, we're told that uh, he made uh, from the rib of man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so God created the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. The creation of the sexual relationship is pre-fall. In other words, uh, it is encapsulated in what God declared concerning all of His creation before the fall, and that is that it was good, and that it was and is uh, very good. The reason that this is so important to mention is that the world and the flesh and the devil, certainly in our culture, have come along and they have uh, now claim to be the experts on sex in the world that we live in and, and uh, in the nation that we live in, but they aren't. And by virtue of uh, His creation of sex, God is the only real expert concerning sex. And it's a wise person who recognizes that and then submits to God's direction and instruction related uh, to it. The world is incapable, utterly incapable, of improving upon what God has to say about the expression of the sexual relationship uh, in a human being. They only know how to mar it, and they only know how to sully it by comparison. I don't know, but that the average person's perception of the God of the Bible 
is I think they would be shocked to even consider the fact that he created the sexual relationship, not just for procreation, but also for pleasure, but the idea that God must somehow be embarrassed about uh, all of this or somehow entirely uptight about sex. And of course, uh, that kind of person is a person who has never read the Bible, certainly not read the Old Testament book of the Song of Solomon, where you have a description of the joy of the marital sexual relationship that includes everything except uh, Barry White uh, playing in the background. I mean, it's so pure, it's so joyous, it's so uninhibited, and, uh, and to explore and enjoy this with someone who is committed enough to marry you, and it's a beautiful thing, it is a sacred thing, uh, it is a sacred experience, it is a holy uh, experience, and so uh, it affirms, uh, as Song of Solomon does, as it does here, it affirms and encourages uh, sexual pleasure, uh, but that it is to be explored and to be enjoyed solely within uh, the confines of the commitment of marriage uh, between a, a, a man and a woman. Hebrews, in chapter 3, the author of the book of Hebrews writes, Marriage is honorable among all, and the marriage bed undefiled. In other words, that marriage is the only place for the non, a, a non-sinful expression of the sexual relationship. Again, it's to be reserved for the person in life uh, that loves us enough, is committed to us enough uh, to enter into a covenant, a commitment uh, of marriage with us. Sex within the context of the marriage bed, uh, that is when it's, it's expressed within uh, the institution of marriage, is not sinful because that is the relationship God created sex to be experienced in and to be expressed in. It is not to be expressed in any other uh, relationship. I want to reemphasize the fact that sex is intended by God to be sacred. It is a sacred action, an activity that occurs between two people. It is a holy activity. It's important to remember in our modern culture that as human beings, we are not animals that we have been created uniquely as human beings in the image of uh, God, not merely created by God uh, as the animal kingdom is, but created in His image and uniquely so. Unlike the animal kingdom, we possess a soul. Uh, we are eternal beings. God has put eternity in our hearts. We know there is something more to life than what we experience in the course of our three score uh, and ten. We possess a moral conscience. We're ethical beings. We're able to distinguish between right and wrong. We're able to make moral judgments. We alone have a religious inclination. Uh, we alone have the capacity to uh, know and to worship God. And thus God has created the sexual relationship between human beings to mean far more to us, uh, to be far more to us 
than it does to an animal. Far richer, far more meaningful, far more pleasurable, involving not only our bodies and our strength, but involving our mind and our soul and our hearts. And again, all attempts by man to degrade God's intent in his instruction concerning sex, it merely mars it. It merely pollutes it from the high and holy and sacred thing that it is and it's intended uh, to be. It cheapens and degrades the sexual relationship in a way that God never intended. And we see it all around us how sexual immorality has cheapened how sex is viewed by the world. And so instead of it being a sacred, sacred and holy and beautiful part of the marriage uh, relationship, this beautiful gift has just been uh, taken into the gutter and is expressed in a way that is uh, uh, like the animal kingdom. And without any recognition that we have been created for something, uh, as something, and for something far higher than the animal kingdom. So often you have people speaking about human beings as just being animals, and if it feels good and do it, and that's the whole culture. That is not God's view related to man, and it's not God's view related to sex as a result of our uniqueness. It is always important to say and to understand because in all of this, the nation that we live in, I can't speak to the world, uh, but the nation that we live in has moved a million miles away from this understanding uh, of uh, sex, not only in terms of practice, but in terms of how it is viewed, the thinking concerning uh, sex is so far below uh, what God intends us to think. It wasn't that long ago in our nation, even if a person, God's instruction concerning uh, sex was not practiced by an individual, there was the recognition that that standard for sexual uh, morality was honorable and that it was good. But all of that has changed, of course, and but God's wisdom and God's truth in this regard has not uh, changed. God does not deal with nations in this regard. Uh, and uh, the Holy Spirit's instruction through Solomon here in this passage isn't written to a nation, but it's written to an individual, to individuals, uh, to his sons, to his children. And so each of us has to decide what we are going to do individually with God's instruction here uh, through Solomon and, uh, and what we will do uh, and what an individual will do with God's instruction, uh, that has been uh, the case. It's an individual decision. It's been the case all through human history. And so no matter how immoral the word, world becomes uh, around us, no matter how rebellious the world becomes to God's standard, uh, this is the standard that we are to have in our uh, lives. You notice in the introduction in verses 1 and 2, um, we have Solomon instructing his son, and in Solomon's instructing of his son, 
we have, because it, it, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, we have God the Father speaking to us as his uh, children through this uh, instruction. It's also important to realize, and I'm not going to try and, and apply it both ways all the way through the sermon, but the instruction, um, the instruction applies equally to not just sons, but also to daughters, and not just to uh, uh, husbands or uh, men, but to women and also uh, to, to wives. And so, uh, concerning the uh, more immoral intentions of both uh, women and men. Once again, we see that uh, sex education and the preparation of our children uh, to live a, a, a holy life in a world and in a nation that is absolutely dominated by sexual immorality, that that responsibility lies primarily with the parent. It's not to be left to the schools or to entertainment or to their peers, or they're not to be left to figure this out uh, on their own. And you notice the instruction, and it's beautiful to see here as Solomon speaks to his son, and uh, he is very, very clear. He's very, very direct. This is not a subject. Uh, there's no sense of embarrassment on his part. It's a reality in life. And he knows he has a responsibility for his child to uh, be prepared before these temptations come uh, their way to prepare them for that. And so there's a thoroughness about his instruction. There's a clarity because thoroughness and clarity is vital in, in uh, educating our children in, in God's way. And, un, and then also, as we see here, uh, some education in the way of the world and what will come uh, to our children uh, as they enter into it independent of us. You notice that Solomon begins by getting the attention of his son with the phrases, uh, pay attention, uh, lend me your ear. In other words, listen to me. So nobody raises a child without saying, I mean, if you could have a dime or a dollar for every time you say to your child in the course of the 18 years, pay attention to me. Uh, listen to me. Well, we would all send them out the door at their uh, graduation, uh, wealthy people. And sometimes it can be frustrating. We just, you know, we can, sometimes we can think, my child is, is unique in this regard. I, how many times have they pay attention to me? Will you listen to me? And no, it has been the case all the way through human history. You're not weird. Your kid isn't weird. And all you have to do is just put yourself into the relationship that we have uh, with our Father, God the Father, and think about how many times a day or how many times a week He tells us, pay attention, listen to me. So it's, uh, we're not uh, too far away from our kids um, in this regard. But it does point out the fact that Solomon wants uh, his son to understand these things and for the son to realize that the father or the parent, they can only speak concerning this. The child will determine uh, what they are going to do with uh, this instruction. God instructs us from this passage today, but 
we, will, uh, we must obey or we will determine whether we will obey or not. You notice Solomon's description of the immoral woman in verse 3. Um, and here she may take the form of a prostitute. She may take the form of a single woman or man, uh, a married woman or man. But she includes any, uh, uh, anyone who attempts to draw people uh, into sexual immorality or sexual uh, sin. And so she's not described here physically at all. The presumption is, is that she is attractive or he is attractive. Or at least as we think about this person in our mind's eye, that we recognize that we're talking about someone who will come our way, who will actually be physically attractive uh, to us. And, and thus uh, he or she represents a temptation to us. He describes her speech, though, her lips drip honey, and this is not talking about her kisses, but her words. So we, she is what we would call in our culture, uh, he or she, uh, she is a sweet talker. So she knows how to flatter, he knows how to flatter, uh, how to compliment, how to come across as very sweet and uh, and and so she so she does. And if you're married, and uh, this she or he is trying to draw you uh, into adultery, uh, you can begin to feel like uh, this person understands me in a way that my husband doesn't understand me. Uh, she uh, cares about me in a way that my wife no longer cares uh, about me, and she knows how to do it. Uh, she's a sweet talker. He knows how to do it. He's a sweet uh, talker. And uh, her words, we're told, are smoother than oil. Uh, that is, uh, she is or he is what we would call a smooth, a smooth talker. And so she knows, uh, he or she knows exactly what uh, she's trying to do long before her prey does, long before uh, you do in the situation. She's very good at this. She's very experienced uh, at this. And without Solomon's warning, uh, we would, uh, 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 as her prey, would fall prey to her. We'd be overmatched in this uh, game. Without this warning, we'd be ensnared uh, so quickly. And so here you have someone who is, is experienced in this. Uh, here is the person who is the prey who is very inexperienced in this. And anytime you are in a situation where one person is vastly more experienced in an area uh, than the other person, then the, uh, the person who is inexperienced can find themselves, their uh, eyes being opened up uh, way too late. They're overmatched. They're overwhelmed in the, in the situation. And she knows what she's doing. And he knows what uh, he's doing. It would be like in the same way of, of, of putting a high school uh, basketball player would be completely overmatched by a pro player. And so uh, often is the case in this kind of a, a seduction. Being attractive... Um, her or his seduction then 
moves, as Solomon describes it, to her speech. And virtually all sexual immorality begins with words. It begins with flirting. It begins with probing a personality. Uh, it, it begins with uh, this probing concerning the other person's interest, this subtle way of letting the other person know that, uh, that they're available and to see if you're interested in it all. And all of it goes on uh, without quite saying it directly. And it's very important that we remain uh, very careful and very circumspect uh, in our language and in what we discuss. Uh, no flirting uh, with, with the opposite sex in, in this regard. Well, that's how she presents herself outwardly to the, to the naked eye and, and uh, to the naked ear. But in contrast to her appearances and uh, how she presents herself uh, verbally here in verses 4 through 6, Solomon informs us the Lord does who and what she really is. Uh, in the end, once you get to know, uh, know her... The Bible uh, does teach that sin is pleasurable, but it's only pleasurable for a season. And that season is very, very short and uh, before the consequences of sin come crashing down on our heads. And that season is extraordinarily short uh, as it relates to uh, sexual immorality. We're told that she is as bitter as wormwood in verse 4. Wormwood or gall was a very, very bitter substance or bitter plant uh, in the ancient world. And so sexual immorality, Solomon is telling his son, uh, it may be exciting for the moment, but afterwards it's going to leave a very bad taste in your mouth and it's certainly going to leave a very bad uh, taste on your conscience before uh, before uh, God, in contrast to, uh, and, and here, uh, that bitter taste in, uh, in your mouth, in contrast to the sweetness of her words, the smoothness uh, of her words. In verse 4, she's as sharp as a two-edged sword, and so speaking of uh, the anguish of heart that she will bring into a person's life, uh, ultimately, Solomon says she will become a great source of pain uh, inside of your, uh, in your life. In verse 5, her feet go down to death. Uh, the sexually immoral life is a dangerous life. It includes, uh, even to this day, diseases that are uh, incurable. Remember, as Solomon writes this, uh, there were no antibiotics for picking up a sexually transmitted disease and then dying on the basis uh, of that. But even today with our modern medicine, you have so many of these sexually transmitted diseases and, and, uh, and, and the danger of it, the danger uh, to our lives that this kind of reckless behavior uh, can introduce into our lives, the dangerous situations that it puts us in and uh, to say nothing of uh, going down to death at the hands of, 
of jealous spouses. And you certainly read about this in the news uh, all of the time. In verse 5, her steps laid hold of hell. So unlike the path of God's wisdom uh, that leads us to an abundant life, to be engaged with her is to join her on this kind of long, slow slog uh, toward hell uh, in, in this life. And, and, and she will take uh, with her anyone that cares to join her on that path. In verse 6, her ways are unstable, uh, you do not know them. A sexually immoral person uh, such as uh, him or her as he's being, being described here, a sexually immoral person is unstable. It's an unstable person. It is someone who is unstable morally, unstable certainly spiritually, unstable emotionally, unstable um, mentally. In other words, Solomon is saying, if you choose to do this, you are, going, you are uniting yourself with a very unstable person and you don't know the mess uh, you are getting yourself uh, into. It's not just sex with another person. It's another person who now becomes a part of your life and that person is an unstable person and it can be filled with surprises, very negative surprises. And so his, his uh, instruction to his son, to us, is stay away from her, far from her, far as in the passage. It's worth circling, actually. Um, and, and so to steer clear, clear of her. In other words, what Solomon has just said to his son, what he said to us, should be enough to keep any person, certainly any child of God, uh, away from her, even a young person, Whatever a person's um, sexual attraction might be to another person, Solomon is saying this is enough to know to cause you to uh, steer very clear of that person. Don't learn it the hard way. I think it's a good place for us to just ask in the privacy of our hearts here this morning whether we're flirting with somebody in our lives that we have no business flirting with, wherever it might be, in the neighborhood, at work, at school, wherever it is, the game is going on, both people know the game is going on, and we're walking down that path. And we recognize this has become uh, in, inappropriate. We're playing around with temptation, and, and uh, as opposed to looking at this and saying, I need to steer clear uh, of this uh, person in my life. In verses 9 through 14, just in case Solomon's description of, uh, of such a person isn't sufficient to keep us away from such a person, uh, Solomon continues by warning uh, of the general consequences of engaging in sexual immorality with, with such a person. Verse 9, you will give your honor to them. In other words, sexual immora immorality, it will destroy our reputation. And it still does. Even in a nation that is as sexually immoral as our nation is by and large, nobody esteems sexual immorality as a virtue or something that is uh, that honor or 
a great reputation in terms of a person's life is, is uh, built uh, upon. So extra, uh, ex sexual immorality will destroy our reputation. And you think about how many people have spent their entire life uh, building a good reputation and a good name and then in one hour destroyed in the very thing that Solomon is warning uh, about here. And of course for us as Christians it will certainly devastate our Christian witness. He said in verse 9, you will give your years to the cruel one. And so here you have uh, as he's speaking to his uh, young son who is a teenager at this point, uh, uh, telling him you're most useful. If you get into this thing, your most useful and productive years of your life will be spent in sexual addiction as opposed to your energies going into establishing yourself in life building a healthy relationship with someone of the opposite sex, then marrying that person and establishing a, a, a family, uh, marrying someone who will be uh, committed to you for all of your life. And so you're going to waste these invaluable years in life that are to be invested elsewhere. He said you will, uh, aliens, verse 10, will be filled with your wealth, your labors going uh, to the house of a foreigner. And so this speaks of the financial expense of sexual immorality and uh, sexual addiction, whether it occurs in the form of paying uh, prostitutes uh, or uh, gifts for a person's girlfriend or uh, the money you pay your lawyer uh, and, and former spouse in a divorce court. It, it can uh, leave you broke and destitute. All of the money that somebody has spent all of their life earning and, uh, and, and through that hard work gone uh, and, and become uh, a victim of, of sexual immorality and a person left with nothing to show for all those years of hard work. He says in verse 11, your flesh and body will be consumed. This speaks of the physical uh, consequences that occur generally associated with a life of sexual immorality, all of the sexually uh, transmitted diseases, as I mentioned, many of them incurable uh, to this day. We don't know what the next ones are going to be. And you, I could have spent the whole morning reading statistics to you today, but you, you can look all of that up you want. But sexually transmitted diseases in the United States of America are at epidemic levels. And, and at the highest levels that have ever been known in our, uh, our, our, our country. And so the, the, physical, uh, the physical danger related to it. And then in verses 12 through 14, the hardest thing of all is it ends in uh, mourning and regret. The consequences aren't just material, they aren't just physical, but they're mental and they're uh, emotional, to say nothing of, of spiritual. And, and he lays them out here. The regret that a person feels. If we, if we know these things and been raised in, in, in these things, and uh, instead of listening to godly instruction, a person thinking, I'm different, I'm smarter, they're all backward, I'm enlightened, I'm progressive in this, in this area, and then the, the terrible consequences come. 
the regret of having taken another person's husband uh, or wife for my own satisfaction and my own uh, selfishness. The regret of, unfaithful, uh, of unfaithfulness to a committed spouse. The regret of having made this a part of my legacy in life. The self-loathing that comes with it. I should have listened. I should have listened. I wish I had just listened. And Solomon prophesies to his teenage son that if he ignores this instruction, he will live to regret it. And he's telling him, nothing is worth it. Think about it. It may seem like it is worth it in the moment, but nothing is worth all of this. Now, God's antidote to sexual immorality is to marry uh, and then to enjoy this sacred gift of, of sex, this gift from God solely with our husband or with our wife within the context of that covenant uh, of marriage. And he brings that out in verses 15 to 23. And here you have um, Solomon describing sexual in intimacy in a marriage with, I mean, such... Uh, attractiveness, such joy, such a sense of, of pleasure that uh, is intended uh, for a person to read it and to realize uh, that kind of enjoyment of the sexual relationship can only be found in that relationship, uh, that committed relationship of, of marriage. These things are not found in a life of sexual immorality, the one that he has just laid out. He likens uh, a, 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 a man's wife in verse 15 to a cistern and a well, uh, or in a cistern is, is essentially a well. It's a, it was the repository for uh, the runoff of, of rainwater. And so in verse 16, uh, he likens the husband to a fountain. And so here you have uh, beautiful, tasteful, poetic language for uh, sexual intercourse that is being described here. And so she receives from his body and all of it a wonder of creation. You notice in verse 15 the repetition of the phrase, your own, your own. In other words, partake of your wife alone in this regard. And uh, that's what is yours. That's what belongs to you, so to speak, and likewise related to the wife toward uh, the husband. And so uh, that's what you know is, uh, is pure and, and unshared. Uh, and that, that healthy realization is we look at our husband and our wife and we say, uh, that person is ours in terms of this relationship in life and to look at every other person of the opposite sex in life and say, she belongs to somebody else. She is not my own. He belongs to somebody else. And I have no business taking from somebody else what belongs to somebody else. And it's a healthy attitude toward our own spouses and toward uh, anybody else that is not our uh, spouse. And so, the beauty and the intimacy of the sexual relationship is to be expressed in the marriage bed, 
not to be taken outside of marriage, verses 16 and 17. It's not to be engaged in with strangers uh, or, or prostitutes. And a stranger, it just, it, 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 it speaks about, uh, when it talks about uh, the immoral woman uh, there in, um, in, in verse 3, it literally is the strange woman. It's a woman who ought to always be strange to us should always be a stranger uh, in our life in, in this, uh, this regard. And so uh, it's not to be taken into kind of the gut of the way that the, the world does, including uh, strangers who are so readily available uh, to both men and women today uh, through pornography. In verse 18, God makes mention of the wife of your uh, youth. In other words... Uh, be satisfied with the one who gave herself to you initially, the one you have a long, meaningful history and relationship with. And here he's bringing out the fact that the sexual relationship with someone as God intends it is far more than physical. It, in, it encompasses the entire relationship. It encompasses... Uh, uh, everything, the history uh, with that person and the growing together, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally, uh, the depth and the beauty of that relationship. And in the Scriptures, God takes a very dim view from one end of the Bible to the other of uh, husbands abandoning the wife of their youth and abandoning the, the woman who gave herself uh, to us uh, in marriage and, uh, and, and gave these, uh, this special part of her life uh, to us and then to take and disregard it because um, uh, most often there's something that, uh, or someone that might be uh, more attractive in, in our mind in some uh, other way. And so God is, uh, he, he's troubled when the wife of our youth is mistreated. And the same thing goes for a husband of our youth. Verse 19 is really a beautiful verse. In ancient times when they talk about the deer and the doe, a deer and a doe symbolized um, the beauty um, or the, just the pure beauty and graciousness of uh, form. And so these terms that are used for the wife are entirely complementary. Uh, uh, if you choose to use them in the privacy of your relationship with your wife, you use them at your own risk. But uh, in the Bible, they're complementary. You notice that her breasts are mentioned, and, uh, and that illustrates the pleasure of uh, sexual uh, relationship. And so, yes, uh, the sexual relationship is for procreation, but it isn't only for procreation. It is for pleasure. And so the, the breasts are not required for procreation, but they are there for pleasure. And so again, it's just another way of uh, illustrating the pleasure of the sexual uh, relationship and, uh, uh, and, the, and the beauty of it. And then it, it, he says, and always be enraptured with her love. And that word, her love, is... Uh, again, it's something that is worth uh, uh, circling. Uh, the, uh, no, the sexual relationship 
will never ever be what God intends it to be uh, outside of a relationship in which it is being expressed as an expression of love. And, uh, and what he's described in the passage all the way previously is lust on full display. And no one who engages in, uh, in, in uh, uses the sexual expression uh, uses it solely in the expression of lust uh, understands anything about the beauty of what it, it can be and is intended to be when it, 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 we are involved with a person who, who loves us. And so uh, it is this beautiful, uh, it is expressed uh, in, in its greatest way as God intends it to be, not under the influence of lust, but uh, in, in the influence of uh, a loving relationship between a husband and a wife. And then we close in verse 21 with a, a simple but an important observation. When God declares, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his, that is man's, uh, paths. And so it reminds us, and again we're talking about uh, great clarity in this um, discussion about I don't know what it was like when you were raised. Uh, neither of my parents had any uh, interest in discussing this with us at all. And uh, so at a certain age, we went to our uh, elementary school when we were six, uh, uh, in sixth grade, and they showed us a film and all of this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, uh, and, and so the, here is this, this education that is, is going on uh, that is very clear and very, very thorough. And Solomon doesn't feel as if he has fully educated his son uh, or his daughter in this regard uh, without the mention of the fact that uh, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths. That is that God is a witness to all of our sexual activity. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him, that is God, who, uh, to whom we must give an account. I think that uh, uh, while Brother Lawrence uh, didn't uh, uh, take his book, The Practice of the Presence of God, into this particular arena, it was written in a different age, I don't think it does us any harm to do so in our culture of sexual immorality and uh, where sex is being made almost meaningless uh, in, uh, beyond an animal level to remember this about God, that sexual immorality not only does great damage to the heart of a betrayed spouse, but also to the heart of God. In the Old Testament... It was this understanding of God's presence in his life, in the totality of his, his life, and the holy influence of, of the fact that God saw all things and he wanted God to see, uh, see this kind of purity in his life as well that uh, was, uh, the, played the greatest part in Joseph's successful resistance to very aggressive attempt sexually on the part of Potiphar's wife to, uh, to seduce him. He declared to her, 
How, uh, uh, how then can I do this great wickedness, number one, against her husband, and, but then and sin against God? And that, that was a wall. He communicated that. How in the world could I do this, as he says in, in a little bit earlier in the passage, to sin against your husband who has entrusted such authority to me, but then to sin uh, against God. There's an old saying concerning temptation that it takes a passion to conquer a passion. It takes a passion to conquer a passion in life. The key is not to hate sin more, but to love God more. To have a relationship with God that is so meaningful to me that it means more to me than any sin in the world or the practice of any, uh, any sin. And, and yes, we need to have a deep and faithful love for our spouse as a protection against sexual immorality, but it's our love for God that provides us with the ultimate key to sexual purity and godly living, especially in this sea of availability in terms of sexual immorality uh, within uh, our culture. And so Solomon is basically uh, saying to his son, and God the Father saying to us today, is in terms of a relationship with God, get one of those. Get that kind of relationship. And for us not to stop growing in our relationship with God until that relationship with God means more to me than any other temptation in life or any other uh, sin in life. It is more meaningful uh, to me. And uh, the wonderful thing is, is that God is all in on that kind of a relationship. James said, uh, God's saying, uh, if, if we draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to us. What that tells us, among other things, is that every single one of us as Christians has the relationship with God that we want. He will always meet us where we want that relationship to go. How meaningful we want it to be. How impactful, how important we want it to be in our lives. And God says, if you want a relationship with me to where this, it, it, that relationship is more important to you than any other thing in life, I will meet you there. And I will produce that um, in your uh, life. God will meet us anywhere on that spectrum. And that's a hallelujah for that. And just in the privacy of our own heart to just look. And if there is a continual failure in the area of sexual sin, to ask myself. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can look at and do. And we're just... T touching the surface of the subject biblically here this morning, but to look and say, okay, where's my starting point? My starting point is to have a relationship with God that is this meaningful to me. 
And I don't have one. So where do I start? I start there. And whatever is required, and that's a whole other sermon, I can't get into it time-wise, today, to begin to fellowship with the saints, to learn the Word of God, to pray, to grow as a Christian, until that relationship is what God wants it to be in our lives, but what we need it to be in our lives as well. And so this morning we've got some very straight talk from God, very needed straight instruction in, uh, on an important subject in chapter 5. And I know that when we talk about this kind, uh, when we talk about this subject, and I know that there's a lot of things that are uh, in the room. I know that um, many of us come uh, to know the Lord, and before we do, there's already a long history of sexual immorality. I know that there's failure even after uh, becoming a Christian. I know that all of those dynamics are, are here in play in our hearts. So I know our hearts have gone a lot of different places between us and God today. And I know this is encouraging to hear and it can be very difficult to hear as well. But this is the problem that the Bible teacher faces. And that is in any area in which our culture is collapsing biblically and morally, how do we keep the standard high and, and, and so that everybody knows what the truth is here so they can choose it for themselves and yet not bury everybody else into condemnation? And so it's wonderful to realize uh, that 1 John 1.8 is still in the Bible, that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then to commit by the power of the Holy Spirit to this kind of a life and this kind of a relationship uh, <coughs> with, uh, with God. Also in the Bible is, if any man be in Christ, He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in the description of a Christian. And if you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, no matter what your background, there is no sin or lifetime of sin or world of sin combined that is greater than the forgiveness that is found in Jesus' blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And God will provide you with the forgiveness of your sins. And then even more than that, as you trust in Jesus for that forgiveness, make Him your Savior today, make Him your Lord today, but then He makes you, He makes us into a new creation with a new heart, new desires, new longings for God and the things of God that are every bit as strong and stronger than the pull of sin and physical appetites within, within our uh, lives. And so he makes us into this new creation and he gives everybody, as we have sung this morning, a fresh start. He gives us a fresh start. And God is the only one you're going to get that from in this whole wide world. On this subject, 
or on any subject. Everybody else, somewhere there in my noggin, I remember somewhere here or there, I know this about this person or this about that. It'll be there until I get a new body and a new heaven and a new earth. But not with God. He gives a brand new, fresh start and makes us into a new creation. There are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. They'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God here today. If you need prayer for anything in your life this morning, they'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, I know that I say it often in closing um, these sermons in the book of Proverbs, so I get a little self-conscious, but... Um, Nobody's saying these things for all of the destruction, all of the damage that is done, um, the inferior life that is lived, the life of addiction, all of these things. And your truth, the things that I have spoken here today from your word are just simply foreign to our culture now and can almost seem absurd except it isn't absurd. You know how you've created us. You know how you've made us. You know what is best for us, Lord. And we thank you for speaking that into our lives today. Thank you for your truth and its sanctifying influence. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.